Howdy. This is Vosh. You may know me from the YouTube channel, Vosh, where I livestream. Most of it's garbage, but sometimes the good bits get uploaded here. This is previously live. It's time. The greatest and most community destructive video in history. Oh my god, this video really is getting views. He did a post like, hey, this video got views. Man, 63k views seven hours ago on a channel this size? Man. My name. My name. What's up? Oh my god, the Joker's in there. What's up? What's up? Joel. Big or little? Hey everybody, uh, it's late, so I'm going to try to keep it down. So recently, I made a video about a tweet, a tweet that I'm going to put on the screen right now. I disagreed with the tweet for a few reasons. I won't summarize them all here in depth. Uh, you can watch that video if you want to. But then, um, I think that day, uh, Vosh made a response stream basically about my video. It's absolutely incredible how no matter how I see him, Joel is always the most scrungly looking guy in the world. It's absolutely incredible. I never, we never see him right after he shaves. We always see him like a day after he shit. You know what I mean? Like it's, 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 it's remarkable. Why do lefties have bad hair? He doesn't have bad hair. He has like wacky professor hair. It's endearing. It's scrungly. Scrungly is not bad. I didn't say bad. Pigeon's scrungly. And I love pigeon. Pigeon's more than scrungly though. Does he use curlers? I think his hair's just like that. People could have hair like that, you know? called the delightful how the left helped make andrew tate popular True. great thumb by the way tempest called the delightful how the great thumb by the way left helped make andrew tate popular so i'm not going to be doing a full response to this video i think it would take far too much time and not be all that helpful uh, but there are a few points that i wanted to talk about uh, so let's get into it so let me just play you a bit of this stream dude that's me i'm covering up me because this was just like three days ago all right well we're in on it now. This is this is like a debate by email. You know, we're doing we're doing twenty four hour offset um, responses to each other via the videos. Uh, like it, same shirt. No, it's not. That shirt's black. I'm wearing a dark blue shirt. See, I'm wearing the one with the gigantic skeleton. See, I'm pretty sure I was wearing my uh, my own shirt back then. Same beard. Same beard. Omega lol that I thought was interesting. People do like, do believe in an ideology uh, that calls for suppressing others, suppressing women in particular. And so um, that's something we should think about here. I don't believe that. Same voice, Omegalo. I don't, I don't, I don't really think people gravitate towards reactionary ideologies because I've got this on 1.2 times speed, by the way. They like suppressing others. I think that's kind of reductive. I think that people have very strong fear and anxiety responses that get preyed upon by reactionary movements. The person is manipulated into it. They have to feel like the sexism they're engaging in, it's, it's not an active, determinative thing on their part. It's a reflexive, a natural and unavoidable response to these external threats that they're convinced exist, you know? So I'm saying there that men are attracted to Andrew Tate um, because they're attracted to the patriarchy. They have a belief in and an enjoyment of the suppression of women. And Vosh is saying, you know, no, it's not really about that. These men or these teenage boys don't like suppressing people. That's not what they're in it for. Um, this is mostly about their insecurity and people like Andrew Tate are manipulating them, using their insecurity um, to get them to believe in the 
these reactionary beliefs. And then he goes on here. So I, I just want to be clear, just so, so we can sort of build the foundation. Tabula rasa, right? Everyone's born like a blank slate, you know? We might have certain genetic predispositions towards behavioral types, but in terms of politics at the very least, you know, a baby is a baby. You, you, gotta, you gotta be given reasons to lean one way or another. But I, I think for the most part, when it comes to most people's positions, the beliefs that they have, the biases, the positions, the political beliefs, these are what they consider to be natural, intuitive responses to facts of the world. So they might think it's bad to harm people, um, but they don't, they don't feel that way because they've done like a big ethical calculus thing, like they haven't read philosophy on it. You know, they just think, well, it's bad to harm people because I, I'm a people and I know it feels bad to be harmed. And that, so that's just kind of bad, you know? It's kind of like an intuitive moral sense of things. Politics goes the same way. Well, you know, some people might have certain positions on the economy, like let's say um, capitalism. Most Americans, by default, believe in capitalism because it is the dominant ideology of our society. It's the ideology of the ruling class. Therefore, it is the dominant ideology that we are fed socially. But they, the, the people in our country who believe this, they don't believe this because they've done this like um, read up on all these different economic systems and they have strong like, like prescriptive and descriptive understandings of how capitalism works and what it should do and how it should be used and how it best can be used and all that. They just kind of think, well, this is what we have and this is what I'm told works. So therefore that's good. You know, now a person can be a capitalist without being like an active advocate for capitalism for its own sake. They can sort of adopt this as part of the dominant ideology. This is the argument that I am making. There are a lot of misogynists out there, but I don't think young men get into misogyny because they want to dominate women. I think they see what we would label misogyny, because a lot of misogynistic people do not consider themselves misogynists, <clears throat> as a natural and inevitable product of facts of the world. And those facts of the world, you know, uh, what lead them to believe those things are what I'm interested in targeting. Because if a person believes in hypergamy and the death of the West due to declining birth rates, misogyny and chauvinism are a near guaranteed response to those things. So you have to target where does the belief in hypergamy and the death of the West due to low reproductive rates come from? And if you run that back far enough, I think you get at those insecurities. Does that make sense? So it's not to say there aren't guys who like being chauvinistic towards women. There certainly are. It's that the root origin point, they're not getting into the misogyny for that, like as a first principle. That's not why they're where they are, you know? It's just a property of, it's, it's an emergent product of the structures that guide them towards those beliefs. Okay, just, I want to be clear. I, I know it sounds like I'm rambling a bit, but I do think this is a really important distinction when you're talking about stuff like outreach. You know what I mean? Racism is, is pretty common, unfortunately, in our society and around the world. But I don't think people like wake up and they're like, I want to be racist because I like my race and not other races. You know, I, I don't think people think that. I think they tend to be very fearful about their place in society and their role in the world and their station and their fed propaganda about how they're imminently at threat from other racial groups. And that feeds into a cycle that then produces the racist um, prescriptive beliefs. Okay, so uh, yeah, just making making my uh my point. 
to talk about how, you know, teenage boys are not cognizant of their desire to suppress women. They're not going around talking about how into suppressing women they are. Um, that's not their major mental motivation. Especially if we're talking about Andrew Tate fans. We really think like 12 year old boys on Twitch are waking up like, yeah, dude, I love to suppress others. My male privilege in this patriarchy is is good and I want more. I, that's just, I don't, I don't. I just don't think that's how that happens. So I think this is actually a, a critical um, a, a, something that you might understand to really solidify this point is that in order for a guy to consciously be chauvinistic in order to preserve his male privilege would have to believe in male privilege. And a lot of these guys don't. They believe in male disprivilege. You understand? So there's a contradiction here where... It, it see, if the argument is that they understand they have privilege over women and they want to preserve or extend it, they would need to believe they have that privilege to begin with. But a lot of them think they're actively being oppressed, which means there must be an antagonism here. They must think that there's, uh, there's, there's some other, like, uh, motivating force. And I think that's the case, yeah. I just, I've never seen outreach to young, insecure men begin with, hey, men have it great in society, don't you want to protect that? I've never seen that. Not once in my entire life. And I see a lot of far-right recruitment to, like, guys. Because you see it all over online. Once you know what to look for, you see it everywhere. They say, hey, men are getting fucked over. You know, men are, are being suppressed. Masculinity is being suppressed. And that's what feeds in. So, yeah, it's defensive in nature. Exactly. Well, it's, it's perceived defensive in nature. You know, it's not actually defensive because they're not actually under attack. They perceive it as a defensive reaction. Fundamental disagreement between Bosch and I. It's the real reason why this disagreement is happening in the first place. So, you know, let me respond. What I believe is not that teenage boys are walking around thinking to themselves, oh, how I love to be a sexist today. That's not what I, I mean at all. What I am saying is I that misogyny that. within our current social, historical, and material context um, does confer benefits to boys, that it, it, it helps them in certain ways. For one thing, it tells boys um, that they're better than women, that they are the better of the two sexes, um, which is, of course, a psychologically gratifying thing to believe. It tells boys uh, that women, as a political bloc, um, need to be sexually available to men, um, that men deserve women and should be getting them. It tells men that women should be subservient to their needs. That is to say, they are not the protagonists of society. Men are the main characters of the world, and women exist to play a supporting role in Clipped that. These are all tangible, material benefits to people's lives. And while I don't think that 13-year-old boys watching Andrew Tate are thinking to themselves, oh, isn't it great that I'm going to be suppressing some women soon, I do think they, they see Andrew Tate and think, well, he's kind of got a lot to offer. That is an interesting proposition to me. It would be cool if women were how I wanted them to be. To make my point more true, but laden in what he's suggesting here are those insecurities, right? Like, why would a, would, a, would a young boy be thinking, I want women to be sexually available to me, unless they were also insecure about the availability of women and their relationship with women? Like, that is a thought born of insecurity right there. It's, 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 it's almost impossible to divorce the, the prescriptions here. And of course, there are people who believe all this, you know, with, with the, the rampant sexism. But a lot of them... Oh, Big Joel is in YouTube chat. Hello! This is, the, uh, this is a, a long-form debate. Uh, as they say. It's how the academics, uh, academics would have wanted it. it. It's it's not to say that there aren't these perceived benefits of adopting a chauvinistic worldview, but these benefits are usually only sensible to people who have been fed descriptive and prescriptive views of the world 
which inform insecurities they possess, if that makes any sense. I, I don't think the, I don't think if you had like a rational and fully informed guy and you tried to sell him on the Andrew Tate spiel, I think that sensible guy would go, what the fuck are you talking about? What? This is, this is intuitively, ethically, and logistically stupid. What are you talking about? What? They're not, they, they, there has to be some shaky foundation here. There has to be like a, like a, a problem at the root of things that makes these arguments stick to them, these, these prescriptions. Can the attitude of victimhood come from a sense of superiority? Like the sentiment that men's feeling of hardship are more important than women's? Yes, absolutely. And you know, that begrieved sense of, oh, well, I should be getting more is really common when it comes to any kind of bigotry, you know, racial, gender. But again, this is something I think that stems from a kind of insecurity. I mean, like the, a, a feeling that you're not getting what you're owed, that society is not tr treating you with the respect you deserve. I mean, we are literally describing like a, an, in, an insecurity here, like on a fundamental level. And that it's not first order. You can go back further. You know, what, uh, what leads people to believe that? What attitudes feed into it? You know, I'll just say this and we'll go on because I, I don't want to ramble. The... You would get, you would be astonished if you are not a guy, you know, if you're watching and you're not a guy, you would be astonished how much the image of masculine power and success is a source of weakness rather than strength for guys who are doing well and are masculine. They are more fragile and more vulnerable to challenges to their perceived masculinity than like anybody else because they've, they've based their identity on it. Um, they're, they're very, you know, emotional in that respect. And that's because, again, it's built on a very shaky foundation, you know? You'd think somebody who is self-actualized, socially powerful, competent, uh, and, uh, you know, successful in, in, in their own respect, you know, financially or whatever, you'd think they'd be really tough to rattle, but in reality, it's often the opposite. Big Joel says from YouTube chat, a feeling that you're not getting what you're owed seems to be a way of rephrasing wanting to benefit from hegemonic privilege to be right. No, 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 because Big Joel, they don't think they're privileged. These, the people who believe in hate, they think masculinity is being attacked, is being challenged. Usually the way this is framed is like, not that men are better than women, but men and women are different and men just are the ones who are better at leading or whatever. This is usually how, I mean, this is how the religious groups phrase it. This is how Tate phrases it. I've talked to a couple of Tate defenders and it's like, oh, well, he doesn't dislike women, you see. He doesn't think they're worse. Even white supremacists do this with um, different races, right? Though in that case, they're usually lying willfully. The extent to which they're engaging in dishonesty kind of varies, but I think when we're talking about guys at the, at the beginning of the pipeline, you, you could say they, they buy it hook, line, sinker. I don't think the 12-year-olds on Twitch are like engaging in internal knowing doublethink on what exactly they, they, they feel about this or that. that I'm going to take forever if I... This is sort of a naturally rambly topic. Vosh, you're playing to the idea of this incel person as if it's the only type of person that exists. I'm not talking about incels. I'm talking about insecure young guys, which is most young guys. <laughs> Unfortunately, that is most young guys. And the demographic of young guys is, is pretty big. Uh, There's a lot of them, as it turns out. I mean, where do you think the popularity of people like Andrew Tate or Jordan Peterson come from? And it's, it's not out of nowhere. It's definitely, it's definitely born out of some kind of market demand. So the question is, is that demand innate? Are young men just innately drawn towards far-right self-help figures? Or is there uh, something else? Is there like a bedrock we can challenge? Obviously, I think there is. You know. Clear here. Let me talk for a minute about like racism. Another example oh, sorry. of- Is there anything to say that some of the ways boys feel disadvantaged might actually be true? Oh yeah, no, there are tons of ways in which boys and men are disadvantaged socially. 
It doesn't mean that we don't live within a patriarchy. It just means the social standards that were constructed to favor men in certain ways also end up disfavoring them in a lot of ways. It's very recursive. It's very intersectional. You know, you make men the social arbiters of violence and all of a sudden they're being uh, incarcerated for like 60% more time than women with the same crime and the same number of priors. That's an undeniable, mathematically representative kind of discrimination against men. It's, it's complicated. But keep in mind, the ways in which men are disadvantaged are from the existing social order. People like Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson are advocating for doubling down on that order. They're not advocating for challenging it. We're talking about issues that are a product of bias towards men in society. They're saying, ah, well, you know how we'll fix this. We'll do more of that. Uh, that's obviously not the solution. It doesn't benefit men either, certainly. Social prejudice. Racism is an irrational belief, and of course it comes from irrational places. Of course people are manipulated into it. But let's not get it twisted. A white supremacist society certainly does give white people certain benefits at the cost of black liberation. White people can be assured in such a society that the best jobs are for them, um, that the best houses are for them, that they will have more wealth than black people do, that they will have more political power than black people do. Sure, there's an element of irrationality there. The world would be better for everyone if racism was gone, but that doesn't mean that racism isn't compatible. I think I think you could make I think you could make plenty of arguments that uh, whites, you know, Hegel, blah blah blah, like it's it's bad for everyone. Actually, master slave dynamics, so on and so on. But I understand what he's saying here, so I'll just continue. That that would be that would be like a more edge case or, or sort of like involved telling that it doesn't have anything to offer people. That there's no reason why a white person would be invested in white power or that a man would be invested in male power. So no, I don't believe that men and boys are merely manipulated through their insecurity into believing this arbitrary and horrible thing about women. Rather, I think that the- Then here's the question. If that was the case, why do so many racists and misogynists have to be fed descriptively incorrect facts of the world in order to believe the things they believe? Why are so many arguments with white supremacists not ones of the fundamental moral question, but rather empirical arguments over existing stats and data? The reason for that is because these beliefs cannot exist, or at least they very rarely exist, purely out of a utilitarian, self-interested, it would be better if I was racist because of self-privilege kind of thing. Usually, like, talk to, like, okay, I was about to say talk to any racist, <laughs> you know, okay, whatever. But look at the history of racism. Racists are fearful, first and foremost. The reason I dislike this characterization is because it's, you know, even if you could, even if you could return to a time where white supremacy was like objectively preferable for white people in the sense of it was socially better for them, like let's say um, the uh, 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 Jim Crow South, like n the mid-1950s or something, like it, it, white people there, it's like, okay, well, we will offshoot all the, you know, as much poverty as we can onto the black community and, you know, the, the mechanisms of capital. And then you talk to these people, by your logic, you might think they would go, ah, well, I have a perfectly straightforward view of the world, I'm just self-interested, so I believe in white supremacy. But that's not what they act like. They're terrified. Um, they're terrified. There's a million little lies they've been fed. That fear and that anxiety runs through them, and they've been given these legitimizing mechanisms. Uh, racism to them is sold not as a means of so self-betterment, but rather as a cure, a remedy for non-existent, but to them, inevitable and unavoidable social problems.
Big Joel says, there's no doubt self-delusion is used to advocate for various social hierarchies, but I don't think that means the outcomes of those beliefs aren't desired. The outcomes of those beliefs may be desired, sure, but that doesn't necessarily mean that their pursue that their belief system is motivated by like an A to B, I want these outcomes. Rather, a more common one, I think, is the world is being ruined because of this, and the remedy is this form of bigotry. And, and, and therefore, like, the, the desirable outcomes that I'm looking for are actually, like, the way things need to be. Like, it's not just... Because, uh, you know, the, the white supremacist does not say, yeah, we need white supremacy because it's better for me. They talk about it being better for everyone. They construct these grand theories of, of fake science or, or, or anthropology where actually, like, all the races need to be separate, blah, blah, blah. They need to justify it with scientific racism. They need to construct these, like, social norms where it's like, actually, it's for all of our benefits we stay separate. Because if they were being straightforward, uh, they could just say, well, it's better for us that we're racist, so whatever like we don't need to do anything beyond that we don't need to lie about you being a threat or about anything uh, look nobody from the top down constructs these mythologies you know it's 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 sort of like a, a collective process uh, oral history of racism um like norse mythology you get a million different stories and some survive and some don't it's all like iterative and medic but 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 like what motivates people at the root I will agree that there are to, in their minds desirable outcomes the, at, at the end of the road though uh, like for sure yeah like they they do think that these belief systems will make the world you know better or at least better off for them. Everyone wants to believe they're a good person, right? The appeal of Andrew Tate has been the appeal that patriarchy has had for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That the reason why people are attracted to figures like him is that social misogyny is a fairly popular political project. And that's for real reasons. What this reasons? is important to understanding the topic at hand, because if insecurity was all that was there, if it truly was the animating force of misogyny in our society, um, then maybe Vosh would be right. We just have to try to make men feel good about themselves on the left, and it'll all sort of work itself out. Um, but I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a correct assertion to make. There's a few points in his stream where- Well, it's not just about making men feel good about themselves. I'm just saying that the insecurities here are like a very- vulnerable axis that is targeted for political recruitment and that you know like that's what we see with the the rise of figures like tate and jordan peterson uh making like if we could finger snap make all men you know like secure in themselves that wouldn't eradicate misogyny at all though i do think it would reduce it significantly it, it's it's just we we live in a sort of ambiently patriarchal environment so there is a a tide a, a current that pushes men's insecurities in a bad direction by default, and a lot of effort needs to be put into remedying that with sort of targeted action. Where Vosh seems to treat me as some kind of fatalist, like I believe that men and boys are just going to be a certain way and that there's no way to change that. It's, it's like, ah, well, we couldn't have done anything. Yes, you could have. We always can. We always can. Never tell yourself, like, oh, this was predetermined. No, we can always try harder. Um, no, I don't believe that at all. I have hope for everybody in this, you know, fucked up world of ours. Sure. But at the same time, we have to be cognizant of material reality, of the things that are actually bearing on people's lives. The tweet in question, the one I responded to, made it seem like some bad leftist advice was a primary animating feature of men um, being misogynistic, of liking people like Andrew Tate. I do, I do think, I, yeah, I, I do think so, yeah. Unfortunately, the left hasn't matured that much from the whole, like, kill all men sort of era of, it, like, the, the grievance politics or, like, politics of resentment, where there's, an, there's sort of, like, um, an aesthetic associated with, well, you've had your time in the spotlight, white men, we're not going to center your discourse anymore over here. And that leads to, like, a, 
a lot of people like either like couching genuine bigotry against white men, which, you know, whatever, or, or, or people sort of like mimetically adopting things that are very repellent to the outside world. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like, like if you have, like, again, if you've, if you, if you have like young guys who are just sort of sampling the discourse in various political environments, I, I, it, I don't want to say I can't blame them for being pulled off from the left you know, because of some of the behavior here, but it's definitely like a contributing factor. It's something we need to get better at, right? And I've been consistent. I've been consistent on this because I have also said that um, any advocacy for racial equality is worthless uh, unless you're targeting it broadly, you know? MLK was a firebrand and a revolutionary in his way and not nearly as moderate as people want you to think, but he also 100% understood the value of political efficacy and made an effort to make his movement appealing to as many people as possible because he knew that, you know, in the power systems in which he lived, it can only go so far exclusively with the support of black people. It definitely helps to have people uh, in, the, in the racially powerful group um, on their side. And, you know, that's why he was quite successful. Bosch comparing himself to MLK. MLK had nowhere near my number of YouTube subs. Don't get it twisted. Mind you, I'm just talking about political advocacy here. Uh, we celebrate MLK, uh, at least we should be celebrating MLK, because he, in American history, was one of the most successful uh, civil rights leaders. You know? He wasn't perfect. He did plenty of bad things, you know, uh, he could have done better, you know, no one's perfect, whatever. But in terms of, like, his life, what did he do with it? Pretty big shot, right? That's pretty good. My man had some ideas. Uh, you know, a lot of what I'm saying also resonates with the message of uh, Frederick Hampton, and he was killed by the government for being too much of a threat to the established order. And Fred Hampton was like, what, five, six years younger than I am now when he was assassinated by the FBI? Yeah, he was young. And he believed in reaching out to as many people as possible, you know, uh, strategic uh, coalition building. Fred Hampton was only five foot six. Never mind, disavowed. Um, and I'm just saying, no, material reality is much, much more important here. Some advice that lefty Twitter people give is um, a drop in the bucket, uh, in my opinion. Okay, a little change of location here. Uh True, but it's a collective thing, right? I mean, I've, I've, you know, it's, if you've spent any time in the left and you're looking for it, you, you can see it's a collective thing, not any individual. Yeah, he teleported. The next thing I wanted to talk about is Vosh's section on advice. Uh, in my video, I say very brazenly that almost all advice on the internet uh, from people who don't know you is completely useless. And Vosh, of course, you know, disagrees with that and thinks online advice is very helpful. So I'm actually a little- He also didn't ally with white supremacists, and I'm not advocating for ally with white supremacists. I'm advocating for uh, behavior which allows us to reach out to and appeal to the insecurities of uh, young men. That's it. I think that's pretty straightforward. I mean, we make an effort to appeal to the economic insecurities of middle class and lower class workers who feel like their well-being is threatened by capitalism, right? Like the anxieties of the poor are something the left is extremely comfortable with uh, in terms of like addressing and providing political responses to. I don't think I'm suggesting anything weird or out of hat or anything like that, you know? The difference being, of course, that you could not even jokingly on the left make any sentiment resembling fuck the poor but fuck men is, uh, and not the horny sense, just, you know, uh, pejoratively, is a pretty common sentiment uh, in the broader left.
a little bit more conciliatory about this point. I'll admit something to you here. Uh, I have a bug up my ass about self-help uh, as an industry, as a concept. I think the entire ecosystem of self-help... Vosh, you've engaged in quite a few controversies pretending, uh, pertaining to you defending incels. I have never defended incels. It's not happened. I don't even get close to it. Uh, the incel ideology is something that I make fun of ruthlessly every time it comes up. I really feel like this sort of semantic conflation between young men who are insecure and get groomed by far-right figures who spend millions on trying to appeal to them specifically and lie to them to get them to move to the right uh, is not the same as defending hate forums online. I think there's a difference there. It's just my opinion. It's my hot take help people is overrun with charlatans who have convinced themselves with literally no expertise that they're some kind of an expert and can tell you what to do. I don't think it really helps people. I don't think there's evidence that it does any good. And I just, I just- Well, okay, well, hold on. There's a big difference between self-help as like a genre, which I agree is horrible, and the concept of offering advice. I, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I, I agree that the self-help I, I, I don't know. It always feels so trivial when I'm like, here's some valid self-help thing. Like, here's how you talk to a girl at a party. Because it sounds really trivial, but like, young guys will lay up awake at night for like weeks of total lifetime with a pit in their stomach because they feel they can't do that basic thing, you know? It sounds trivial because it, it kind of is, but it's also everything in the world to some people. You know, the, the skill to maintain eye contact and have a conversation without feeling like a weirdo is, you know, you can say this is because the internet makes people antisocial or whatever. And I mean, sure it does, you know, fine. But one way or another, like, it, it is trivial, but it's also like people like, I mean, I don't want to sound like dramatic. People kill themselves over this stuff. People kill themselves over a lot of stuff, to be fair. I'm just saying like this shit hits at the, at the like gut of a lot of people. I've given a lot of... Hip Here's some self-help I've talked about uh, a lot that never gets me any blowback. Uh, how to deal with depression. I'm not a psychiatrist or whatever, but basic stuff on managing um, executive dysfunction or how to maximize the little windows of positivity you might have or like what you can do, like, you know, going on walks or whatever. And it's not just saying the advice either. You have to make it appealing. That's the difficulty. If, 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 if it wasn't about delivery, you know, you could just put up a list, drink this much water, eat healthy, get a good sleep schedule, go on a walk once a day, blah. And then like, oh, everyone would just be like, yeah, okay, I feel better now. You have to sell it to them, you know, selling to people things that are good for them, but they don't necessarily want to do is, is basically like the main skill involved. And the problem with a lot of self-help channels is that, like, let's be fair, you know, it's it's social media. People make money by people make money uh, by selling their ideas. Uh, the incentive structure here is towards the money for those creators, not towards giving good advice. Uh, there will always be a market for self-help in the world that will never not exist. It will always exist until humanity dies as a species. There will always be a market for self-help. Um, so as long as it's there and attracting tens of millions of people, I think we should throw our hat in the ring. I think we should do something good. Because we already do it for young girls, don't we? I have seen so many big channels, small channels, channels on the left, a variety of stuff where they give advice and like, you know, young women dealing with a bunch of social situations and social problems, health problems related to being a young woman. Uh, I don't, I, you know, it's not for me and I don't know much about it because I've never been a young woman, but I, I get the feeling when I see that like type of stuff that a lot of it is, is pretty helpful to some young women, you know, not every bit of advice you get from your parents or, or like social stuff or, you know, yeah, uh, stuff like that. But I mean, 
you know, you can get that from makeup channels, right? What, what are girls watching you? What's a girly thing girls watching YouTube? Makeup channels, you know, vlogs. You get some advice there. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. But you're a guy and you go looking for self-help self advice and good fucking luck because you are, you are really rolling the dice there in terms of like... <laughs> oh, hold on. Sorry. Big Joel said, Vosh, do you get blowback for talking about how to ask ladies questions at parties? I wouldn't have expected this lol. Big Joel, that is what I mean when I say addressing young men's insecurities. I mean, uh, like, Big Joel, so here's, so, okay, I, I'm, I'll give a spiel, and then I'll, because I, I, I'm taking forever here, and I, I think I took too much Adderall today, because my mind is racing, that's fine. A lot of guys uh, are really terrified of coming off creepy when they talk to chicks. And part of this is because guys will sometimes get creepy, get called creepy for no reason at all. That doesn't happen too often, but it can happen, and it happens more when you're unattractive. And that's just a fact of life. It's not fair. It's just life. You know, life isn't fair. Okay, we're not making any big prescriptions here. It's a thing that happens. It's descriptively true. And a lot of guys are terrified of coming across as creepy or like having a conversation and her not being into it, but them not knowing she's not. So they worry. They're like over like testing or time and okay hypers in chat if you know what i'm talking about come on just look, raise with me here like just the basic anxieties of like okay well how do i even like engage with the yeah like how do i even talk with um with a girl without like tripping these flags or whatever and i think stuff like that like this is one of the big insecurities one of the biggest things that gets like young men on the anti-feminism train is that it's that like it's that meme it's the harassment versus flirting meme of like Hey, here's some dating advice. Uh, uh, be hot and don't be ugly. You know, you've heard that, right? Like, uh, it's it's the idea that feminism has made women more choosy and more like ingracious. And as a product of that, like g innocent guys will get called creepy for doing nothing. And like that does happen sometimes, right? Like unfair stuff happens. You know, in any social system, it's not like if we all converted to neo-Nazism, there wouldn't still be guys getting called creepy. You know, whatever. But that's what I mean when I talk about addressing some of these insecurities. And I don't see a lot of people on the left talking about it because you have to real talk this a bit. Like you, if, if you're going to like, if you're, if you're going to like have this convo, you have to be able to like, you have to be able to like sit there and go, listen, some women are just like bitches and they're just going to call you creepy and they're going to be mean and that's okay. You can not say bitches if you want, but like they're, they're, you have to engage a little bit with the texture of the insecurity and and a lot of people get uncomfortable with that because it's like and I've been accused before of like oh well you're 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 you know you're uh, facilitating conversational overconfidence in guys so now they're going to go and like harass women and I don't think that's true obviously it's possible uh, to do that when talking to guys about this sort of thing uh, but but you know it's it's a fine line you do the best you can I think stuff like that's helpful and I get a lot of feedback from my community where people are like hey I really appreciated this it really helped I've never heard stuff like that before my right now I'm getting like five to six emails a day from people going, hey, I know this drama's happening. Thank you for talking about this. It really helped me out in a bad time. Or people in my chat are like, hey, I used to be part of this, but now I feel better because of this. And I don't know. It can be really tough to be a guy. Big Joel, I know you know that. Um, one of the things being that there is kind of like the presumed capacity for violence coming from us. So women, for all the difficulties in being one, uh, have an easier time inserting themselves into some social situations because they're not considered as much of a threat or there's not like a um a, a, a presumption how often do women get called creepy you got to do some stuff to get called creepy as a woman people just tend to find the company of women more pleasant because they have lower expectations for men not entirely undeservedly so you know blah blah who's more likely to hit you or freak out or more capable of hurting you but again 
This weighs on the minds of good people. Okay, totally ranting. I love you all. I'm so sorry. Um, it's just a lot of words. I'm just saying the advice in itself isn't controversial. It's a political claim about the failure of the left. To an extent, Big Joel, I just think I, I haven't gotten that much shit for the specific bits of advice. I have gotten shit for saying that like they're way too uncommon on the left. And I stand by that because because like the the fact that I would say advice for insecure men and then people are quote tweeting me saying like you're defending rape, you're saying all rape is women's fault, like all you're justifying violence. Um, the fact that that like cognitive break, that that dissonance exists there is an indication of two things. One, the left fucking hates me. Uh, and two, that people have a very low, uh, very like low opinion of the concept of advice for young men because it's so tainted by these far-right figures. And I think that needs to change. Um, yeah, okay, sorry. Wow, I did not expect to be doing this for this long, but that's okay. I'm having a, I'm having a, a good time. And I love you, uh, Big Joel, or Little Joel. Don't like it. It pisses me off. It's my personal like bugaboo. That said, I was too brazen in my video. It's not my place to tell you what content is helpful to you, what might help you as a man in this world. I don't know that. But nevertheless, um, there were a few points I wanted to make about Vosh's section here. So first of all, when I was talking about self-help advice in my video, I was speaking about like pretty broad advice, advice on how to get motivated, on how to be a successful person, stuff that I generally think is absolute nonsense. However, it seems like what Vosh is talking about is more specific. His major example of the usefulness of uh, advice is like giving people words on how to hold a conversation with a girl at a party, you know. Oh, that's that's apropos. Yeah, I, I, I keep going back to that, you know. Um, yeah, um, yeah, stuff like that. I think uh, um, stuff like that, how to like date on Tinder. That's a big thing because a lot of guys it's all it's all sexual insecurity stuff, you know. Especially when you're, and I, I know this because I've, I, I was like a horny, like 14 year old boy. I'm a horny 28 year old man child now. And, um, I know how much of like the brain space shit like this can take up. Right. I, I think there was like a solid chunk of my high school during which is like 40% of my neurons were, were just completely dedicated. Well, not even to girls. Cause I like guys too, but you know what I mean? The point being like, it's, it's just such a tetchy topic for them. You know? I, yeah. God, I don't know. I'm not a parent. I don't even know how I'd handle shit like this as a parent. Like how you would even talk about, yeah, I, man, I don't know. Fuck. I feel like being a parent these days, especially if you have a son, it's like you leave your son alone for three days because you have to go on a holiday trip or something and you come back and like you, you check the family computer history and they've watched a combined 58 hours of like Andrew Tate videos. You, you look at them and they're wearing aviator sunglasses and they slowly turn their head towards you and they're like, sup? And they look at the, your wife next to you and he's like, bitch. And then he turns back to the screen and he's like, fuck, fuck, god damn it. I spent 12 years on this project and now it's fucking ruined. <laughs> I don't know. Where to take girls for dates, etc. Give an example of good advice right now. Well, I did earlier with like uh, the guys, um, like trying to find like cheap local things to go to. Like the stuff that I've said about um, when you're having a conversation with somebody uh, at a party in any kind of social situation, make sure to occasionally ask questions of them or to prompt responses so they can tell you implicitly how they feel about the Oh, another big part of like selling this to people, another big part of trying to make this um, resonate with people is uh, making them not feel weird for wanting the advice. You know, I try to be clear about this and I make jokes about being autistic or whatever, but like I am hardly a social butterfly in real life. 
and the the whole like you know the the feeling of shame or like how do I put this? If a person is having trouble socializing and they think it's shameful that they're having trouble, I think they're more likely to come away from that feeling thinking there's something wrong with society than themselves because they're going to think the shame that I'm feeling nobody should feel this way this is wrong it is a product of bad circumstances therefore there must be something wrong socially whereas if they don't feel shameful about having questions about it or, or feeling like they've done a poor job they can think like oh this is something I might have to overcome like this is something um you know like okay like you know maybe it, it happens and and that can help them sort of approach it in in, in like a genuine self-help sense rather than the fake self-help of this is why we need a fourth reich the convo you're having oh and by the way if you're talking to new people feel free to talk about your interests be interesting talk about what you care about i think this advice is totally helpful and fine you know the more specific the better all that said um when i watched this section i couldn't help but think Will this kind of really specific advice on like how to dress well or how to hold up a conversation with a girl at a party, are these really things that we think are going to fundamentally change our political landscape? I just find myself so deeply skeptical of it. You know, Vosh is giving like wiki how advice. Well, my, my belief is yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I'll t I'll, I won't even like clarify. I do think that. Yeah, I do. Because if you look at like the root of how the right gets there, like grip on a lot of these young men it starts with stuff like that like that that is kind of like the ground level but but it takes a lot of time and, and effort and 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 a lot of people too because if it's if i if it's only a couple of people on the left doing this it feels more like an individual content creator thing but i want young men to feel like the left is the is the the wellspring of their well-being you know like i i don't want young guys to just jump into the left because it's ethically right to do so because let's be real people don't choose their political positions based on like an ethical assessment they read like hegel or whatever you know they, they arrive at it through sort of intuitive clumsiness for the most part and i i want a lot of them too i want them it's it's a matter of convenience i want them to think like okay well the left yeah okay maybe the left is like ethically right but also like the left is fucking cool it's cool. It's fun. We want to make it fun. We want to make it interesting. We want it to solve their day-to-day -day problems. That's my hope. Yeah. I, because, like, that's... This is what we keep getting hit with. Every time the right contrasts itself against the left to young people, it's along these lines. Hey, look at how the left is unfun, joyless, censorious. They want to take away your games. They want to take away the big boobies in the anime. Look at us. We're cool. We're edgy. We love our free speech. They're lying when they say this, of, of course, but it's their selling point, you know? Um, we'll help you. They'll fuck you over. We're fun. They're uncool. We're topical. We're, we're human. They're like a bunch of dusty academic freaks. You know, it's, it's always that, that line. It's, it's, it's about appealing to, to what people want to do you know what what intuitively pulls them and that's important from an outreach perspective vice in this section of video stuff like ask people questions um take interest in their interests talk about yourself things like that stuff that you'd find on the frankly incredible website uh wikihow and it's just like how much of an audience are we really hoping to even help or access with this kind of work untold millions like, I believe there's a reason why Vosh names his video this really incendiary line about how the left helps Andrew Tate and not something about, like, how to talk to a girl at a party, because the latter video um, just wouldn't do very well and probably wouldn't hold people's interest uh, nearly as much. Well, okay, to be clear, 
I have talked about how to talk to a girl at a party plenty of times. My issue is the behavior of the left here. I, as an individual, can't carry the whole uh, wall, you know, uh, uh, on this. Uh, I, I want a dispositional change in the entirety of this uh, broader political community, which, of course, I'm not entirely capable of doing myself. But, you know, I, it's something I want. We all make criticisms of the groups that we're in. I think that's our right, as long as we're not doing so in a, 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 an unconstructive fashion. And I think that my title... Uh, how the left helps people like Andrew Tate become popular. I think that's true. I do think that's true. I think that the left is not only bad at this, I think the left is repellent to young men. I think that the left has normalized the politics of, of grievance, where we, because men have social privilege and power, the same with white people, as a product of that, we, we imagine them like invulnerable. Uh, their, their needs have already been met broadly, so we need not do it again here. You know, this is for the marginalized people. But that's not a good way to run a broad movement. That's a good way to run a book club. Maybe not even that. So that's my issue. And there are a lot of... Man, the quote tweets, that one tweet of mine, who boy, putting aside all the death threats and what have you. It's a lot of people for whom even a positive mention of men uh, produces... I, I mean, there are people on the left who are so psychotic that if they were talking about women or any other racial group the way they talk about men and white people like they would be screenshotted and used as fodder to attack the right for years to come like like hey remember that one thing that happened on twitter where there were like thousands of people being overtly bigoted uh you know wow look at the right look how bad they are well the right does laugh at us for this and unfortunately in this single respect they have a point as long as what they're saying is, you know, the left tends to be kind of antagonistic to these groups. Mind you, I'm only making a case for outreach here. Obviously, this antagonism doesn't, like, hurt or make me vulnerable. I mean, I'm still doing fine with my YouTube channel. Um, but there are lots of young guys who see that shit and just check out. And I can't blame them for that, because fuck, man, first impressions, right? Anyway. I think that Andrew Tate actually has a real advantage in this arena over someone like someone like Vosh. Specifically, that Andrew Tate is fucking crazy. Andrew Tate gets to say ridiculous things about women all day, every day. It's incendiary. It's huge. It's controversial. That drives audiences. It makes people interested. Um, I don't necessarily think the same applies um, to a video about how uh, to ask people questions. Now, 100%. I, I, I do agree that there is a refuge in audacity and that it is an uphill battle because the right has the money and the ability to lie freely. Um, but they do on a lot of things, right? Like the, the right can lie freely about, say, the effect of immigration on a society, but we still have a responsibility to go, no, actually it's dope. It's super base to have immigration, you know? They'll lie about racism and we can be here and go like, ah, yeah, well, okay, well, you're fucking wrong and so on. It's, it, it's, it's always an uphill, um, it's an uphill battle with them, but. I could be wrong here. I could be dead wrong. Uh, and I'm interested to be proven wrong. I think that if this kind of content took off, it might be helpful to people. I mean, people uh, might benefit from it. I don't know. But at the end of the day, my- the, the content as well. But keep in mind, I'm not just talking content. I'm talking the left as a whole. I'll, I'll just say it. I, honest to God, I think the left just needs to dial down the very casual, sometimes semi-serious, anti-white, anti-male shit. And the fact that it's apparently popular to conflate helping young men with apologia for incels is super fucked. And like, that's a normative thing. Like that, that's a broader tendency. Again, not saying white people or men are oppressed here. I'm just talking about the optics of a group that ostensibly is supposed to be about racial equality and gender equality. 
Um, but like, let's be real. There are a lot of people on the left with massive chips on their shoulders. The active anti-male shit on the left has actually gone down recently because of the turf movement. Because a lot of the people on the left who, I mean, who could have guessed that people with a seething hatred for uh, men on an like, essentialist level would then go on to be transphobic against trans women, if you can imagine it. A lot of them became TERFs, and TERFs are now broadly allied with the right. So I think that the anti-male shit has actually kind of gone down a little bit, just because, like, they've been peeled off. They're a bit more recognizable. There were a lot of TERFs giving me shit for my tweet as well. I saw some of them. Um, in, in, in threads that I was participating in. And it's like, hmm, you know, what, how, what strange bedfellows we have. No, nothing good comes out of, uh, you know, being anti-white or anti-male. Maybe not much harm comes out of it because we're socially powerful. And, you know, what I, uh, certainly not as socially damaging as being anti-female or anti-black in terms of, like, the potential harm. But it's definitely not good. My position is honestly just, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I don't think men wanting for um, little tips on how to have conversations at parties is, is really what's influencing them uh, to flock to misogynists. That's, that's just what I believe. It's an untested claim you guys are making, and while I can't prove the negative there, um, that just means we don't know. I don't believe it really has that much of an impact. I don't- uh, I mean, uh, you know, my emails aren't an aren't a academic study, so... You know, I, I can't pull out the data here. Um, it's more of a general disposition thing. I don't think every left tuber can be like a, a wellspring of advice or whatever. Um, but it is definitely like an axis of, of engagement that we're currently hostile to. Do you have a meta study for that claim? Maybe one day. Do you think the entire point of your video was dating advice and that's it? No, no, no. Like, broadly speaking, it's, it, 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 I, I would ask anyone this. And this is something that I'll say I have a decent amount of, like, personal experience on, probably more so than almost anyone else on the left. And it's that I've engaged with the right more than any of you, by far. As a product of my work and as a product of my general lack of fragility, uh, I am extremely familiar with the discourse, the rhetoric, the spaces, the behavior, I, 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 I am in on that. Uh, you, you gotta be if you want to argue with them, or at least you have to be reasonably familiar with what they go on about. And you can see where people get at the Tate or the Jordan Peterson stuff on the ground level. And that is so often normal young guys who get pulled in because they have a deep like qualm about their role in the world as a, as a man, uh, as a, as a, a, you know, a future masculine archetype uh, or their relationship with women. And the only answers they get online are from the far right. And, and not only do they not get answers from the left, the left seems repellent to, to answering the question at all. Um, but a lot of them start out totally normal. I mean, you are normal when you're young for the most part. It's pretty hard to be like a ideologically committed 10-year-old chauvinist. I, I suppose it's possible. But, uh, but they, get, they get brought in on that. And that early, where you get the ball rolling to begin with is, is so incredibly important. Uh, I mean, the direction you set people in at the start has so much influence on what answers they find convincing in the future. You know? Because, like, again, like, here's, here's the easy trip, right? Like, a young guy will be kind of upset that they're not getting laid. And you can think that's trivial. It, it is. We're talking a young high schooler. Upset they're not getting laid. It's trivial, but it's also human. It's also human. To pretend it's not human is delusional. It's, it's something that happens all the time. It's not even bad to feel that way. You know, you're, it's a young pubescent guy. And, and they're frustrated 
because in their experience, it seems like women are the gatekeepers of sex. Now, it's a very loaded term, gatekeeper of sex, but in the experiences of a lot of young guys, yes, it is true, men pursue, and then women, like, accept the pursuit if they're interested in the guy. Obviously, that's simplifying it a bit, but we're talking high school romance, and we're filtering all this through the perception of a teenage boy. Uh, you know, you can think it's right or wrong. It doesn't matter. It happens. So these guys are frustrated. They feel like, you know, they're really into girls, but girls don't seem to be reciprocating that. And this, again, happens to tens of millions of young men every year. And, uh, and, and they go online and they see discourse and they engage with communities that will give them answers on problems they have. They'll give them, you know, sort of leads to follow on. And one of the ones that they will very commonly hit across is the idea of the sexual marketplace and hypergamy. The sexual marketplace, this is like old red pill stuff. Uh, the sexual marketplace uh, or a sexual marketplace value or whatever the term is specifically is the idea that people have a kind of like um, currency value when it comes to dating. Like there are things you could do to actually make yourself more valuable. And furthermore, the market is kind of skewed. Uh, because of hypergamy, the tendency for women to sleep with the most attractive and successful men uh, uh, you know, therefore leaving no time for the less successful or attentive men. These narratives feed naturally into incel or far-right ideas about the role of men and women in the, uh, in the world, because you can pursue this in a self-interested way and become increasingly chauvinistic as you believe you have to manipulate the system with red pill pickup artistry or Andrew Tate you know, in like insecurity manipulation in order to game an already rigged system against you, again, perceptively. Uh, or you can think that society at large is being destroyed due to lowering birth rates because of the behavior of women, which has been brought about by feminism. And the only way to stop that social decay, which you are now very anxious about because you're seeing all these articles and watching all these videos and listening to all these talks on how this is happening right now and it's ruining everything. And you may be frustrated about not getting laid, but this is just the seed of a broader issue that is currently tearing apart America or the West, or whatever else, and the only way to address all this is by ending feminism and bringing about a deliberately chauvinistic social order in which women will just get pregnant and married at 18 or whatever. That sums up the road, by the way. Seriously, I'd be willing to bet for something like 95% of young guys who end up going down the far right, I would say that for a huge portion of them, uh, that is a, a strong part of what directs them there. And all of it begins with that little itty bitty seed right at the beginning. They're frustrated about not getting laid. Again, we can rave at the triviality of this. And again, it is silly, but it is, it is a thing that happens. It's not 100% of it, obviously. And of course, I have to simplify this because if you wanted to go through the whole like etymology of red pill terminology, you would, you would, you, that's a whole like doctorate you would need to get to fully get all that. It's, it's a pretty, you know, um, active, uh, you know, political field. But, but, but that is the uh, gist of it. And that is the reason why I'm passionate about this. We need to, uh, we need to talk about issues that resonate with those groups, and we need to uh, construct a, a, a sort of political um, community that is not actively repellent to people who are at risk, you know?
Does that make sense? Okay, I know this has gone on for longer, but every time this happens, I feel like I need to be a bit more specific or a bit more deliberate, and I'm just trying, I want people to really understand what I think and what I'm saying, you know, in its entirety. Um, yeah, there are, there are other things that feed into this too. Like men tend to have more trouble making friends, especially when you're young, young men versus young women. Um, so they have fewer people around them to talk with because sharing these feelings with actual humans your age around you is a lot healthier than going online to find whoever's making the most money off of lying to you. Um, and, and, and that can make it worse and just, yeah. And none of this, and, and, and to sort of preemptively attack and attack, you know, none of this is about men being owed sex or relationships. Everything that I just said is descriptively the case, as I have laid it out. It's not about anyone owing anything. It's just about feeding ideas to people when they're needed and helpful. And by the way, I'll tell you who feels like they're owed sex. The red pill incel types. You know who doesn't feel like they're owed sex? Young men who understand this stuff well enough from a progressive perspective to not freak out and start doom posting about the end of Western civilization due to birth rates and feminism. Uh, if you want to reduce male entitlement, pulling more people over to the left is your way to do it. We're not talking about affirming that, uh, that, that, that feeling of entitlement. We're looking to dissuade it by reaching out to them. I don't think it's the major player here in people's beliefs, uh, but I guess we'll see. Finally, I just wanted to talk about something that I thought was a bit funny. So in my video, I give self-help advice. The advice was basically um, do good things and don't do bad things, and you personally know which things are good and bad. The struggle is doing that thing, and it's really hard for me to help you with that. Vosh laughed at this incredible advice and said it was dumb. If that's... Well, okay, well, to be fair... Okay, well, yeah. If that's Big Joel's image of advice, maybe maybe I understand where he's coming from. Big Joel, in my personal opinion, I think the advice you're giving is, is kind of awful because it's not a wonder that you think all the good advice has already been given if that's what you're framing. Um, but the thing is, I was doing just a bit of a troll there. I was playing uh, a bit of 4D me. chess. What I mean is, um, what I said in that video, the advice I gave, is essentially a verbatim quote of Jordan Peterson. Stop doing what you know to be wrong. Stop today. Don't waste time asking how you know that what you're doing is wrong. There is no more effective way of operating in the world than to conceptualize the highest good that you can and then strive to attain it. You know what's good. You know what you have to do, so do it. And I know it's hard, but that's life, Buster. You know, he, he does this shit all the time. That's true. That's true. However, Jordan, Pe uh, Jordan Peterson, Jordan Penis? Jesus. Jordan Peterson is also notorious for loading prescriptive assumptions into the statements he makes without directly claiming them. So he might talk about self-actualization and individual um, drive to achievement, but he'll do so in a framework where it's intuitively um, uh, uh, suggested that he, what he's actually saying is you need to be more masculine and you need to reject cultural Marxism and blah, blah, blah. Jordan Peterson doesn't limit his advocacy to saying do good things, of course. Um, if anything, his advocacy for doing good things, like outside of the vacuum when, when contextualized with the rest of his work sounds more like a, a kind of anti-intellectual screed you know um you have an intuitive gauge of what is right or wrong listen to that and what that that means is that they're going to start pulling from moral impulses that come from like more basic uh, inclinations that he feeds into by being radically chauvinistic um so it, he he does, I mean, he's very smart in terms of how he frames his propaganda, even if he is a fucking lunatic. Jordan Penis. The book 12 Rules for Life just spends the entire time restating the claim that you should do good stuff. There's almost no useful specific advice there. It's just like, 
be cool. But that's kind of my point, right? Uh, Self-help advice is generally very unhelpful. So, you know... Uh but we wouldn't have an issue with Jordan Peterson if all he sold people on was being cool, right? It is true, though, that the 12 Rules for Life is probably the least objectionable bit of self-help he's put out there. Uh, you know, clean your room and all that. Uh, but it is a good entry point for some of the other stuff he said. I mean, that infamous interview where he, he, he basically all but says women should not be in the workplace without exactly saying it, you know? It's, it's, you, you, it's, it's, it's what are you actually leading people towards, you know? On the BBC? Yeah, that interview. Uh, if you want to think my advice is so bad, so worthy of mockery, it's worthwhile to consider that oftentimes conservatives aren't doing much better. They're not really giving people more depth than that. There's not really more compassion to Jordan Peterson than there was to me. Perhaps then I might suggest that the reason why men are going to Jordan Peterson and Andrew Tate is not because of some deep, important advice as compared to the left's brain-dead advice, um, it's because they're attracted to other things about them. Their political project, their attitudes, their reactionary personas. Anyway, this is a very minor point, all things- But doesn't this contradict what a lot of people on the left have said about Jordan Peterson? Where he operates as a kind of surrogate father figure for a lot of waylaid young men who then get insidiously brought into the disingenuous arguments he makes for conservative politics? I thought that was the main line we used with him. If, if, if we were to assume that every- guy who gets into conservatism agrees with the conservatives because they already appreciate the conservative values, then we are making kind of an argument for essential conservatism, right? Like, if if it's like, well, conservative men get into conservatism because they like the conservatism, like, I, I don't know, well, then what do we stop? Like, wh where do we, where do, where do we get involved? Um, the line with Jordan Peterson is like, the self-help stuff is what brings a lot of people in, you know, his, uh, alleged uh paternalistic charm uh you know his his active outreach to young guys his effort to sort of project a masculine apparatus despite looking like a cursed um wooden ventriloquist doll owned by a like hitler's jester um you know uh the the but it's 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 all like a, a funnel to get you in on the conservative prescriptions um, if it was just conservatism, if it was just people like Jordan Peterson because he's conservative, then they wouldn't really care about him, would they? Because Jordan Peterson, despite his meteoric popularity back in 2017, is nowhere near as actively conservative as a lot of other people that we consider part of the right. I mean, Ben Shapiro talks about politics far more often than he does. I, I, a lot of people do. What makes Jordan Peterson special? Well, I think we've agreed, haven't we? It's the, it's the fact that he, you know, the, the rhetoric that he employs, the way he presents itself, that self-help line gets people in on it. I am not the first person to make this claim, by the way. The idea that self-help and, you know, uh, reaching out to guys who feel they need a father figure is the in to Jordan Peterson, and then it's like chauvinism from there. Right, this is where I'd refer you to my last section. People aren't simply manipulated in conservatism. IMO gives them things they want. It gives them things they want because they want things relative to the worldview they've been sold. And self-help is like a good insecurity to exploit. Um, we know that Jordan Peterson is uniquely prominent because of his self-help stuff, because that was the entire like line on how he became a powerful conservative figure. That was the whole like through line. But if it's not that, if it's like, well, they, the people who go to Jordan Peterson would have gone to any conservative anyway because they like the conservatism, then then it seems like it kind of is essentialist, right? What do you stop then? Where, 
where do you where do you draw the line? Where do you bring the wall down? Jordan Peterson literally works for the Daily Wire. Yeah, he moved over a couple months ago. But Jordan Peterson is less popular now than he was back in 2017. And back then, he was known primarily for being a self-help figure who would ramble about conservatism. But if you take a look at why people like Jordan Peterson, or you see all the comments underneath his YouTube videos, at least his older ones, because nowadays he is much more actively partisan and much less into the self-help bit, um, you'll see a ton of people are like, Jordan, I was so waylaid and lost and a drug addict, and then I saw your videos, and then I knew this, and then I knew that, and, you know. Big Joel says, I don't think conservative actors can't persuade into conservatism. I think it's much more complicated than giving good, compassionate advice. I agree it's more complicated than that, but I'm not just talking about giving compassionate advice. I'm just talking about recognizing the fact that sexual and masculine insecurity are the root of so many conservatives' outreach to young men. Uh, Steve Bannon talked about how he would specifically reach out to incel forums to try to recruit people to the far right. Uh, the immense popularity of people like Andrew Tate and the kinds of audiences he, you know, brings about speaks to the, uh, you know, the effectiveness of, of, of targeting those insecurities. If it was just conservative prescriptions, they wouldn't need to bury it and all that help so, uh, self-help stuff. They could just do conservatism. Fr frankly, Andrew Tate doesn't even talk about conservatism that much, or at least that's what the people who follow him don't, like, they don't, they, that's not what they're there for. He will say insane, unhinged conservative stuff, but if you take a look at the clips that go viral, the stuff people know him for, the stuff his fans talk about, the stuff they seem to respect, it's all about what he has to say about masculinity. And if you're talking about selling young men advice on how to be masculine, insecurity is the root of what's being uh, engaged with there. A lot of them do think that it's apolitical. They they think he's not even doing politics. They think he's just like you know, uh, pr you know, uh, remasculinizing media by projecting an image of what it means to be you know, blah 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 blah. You've seen it a million times before, though maybe not this um, loudly, not as loud as with Tate. Um, yeah, his comments on women are hella conservative, though. Ah, chill left, they are. But you might notice that Andrew Tate doesn't frame his comments on women as policy. When he talks about his policies, or sorry, his prescriptions on women, he's not talking about anything legalistic, and he's also not talking about anything perceptively ethical or political. He's not making arguments that sound like they belong in a like poli-sci classroom. He's making intuitive comments about the role of the men and women in a natural order. Why would young men be interested in being sold that worldview? Well, probably because a lot of them think they're getting shafted by the existing one, that the existing one is one in which feminism has corrupted Western women to make them forget their, uh, their role, uh, to make them uh, sort of hypergamous, um, or hypergamous, sorry, uh, you know, unworkable, uh, degenerate. But n these terms don't just emerge fully formed in the minds of 12-year-old boys. Uh, they have to be seated. They have to be, um, uh, they have to be groomed into it. And, I mean, much is the case with politics as well as, uh, sexual grooming. Any kind of grooming relies on playing off insecurities, doesn't it? I mean, think about grooming, like the way, not the way conservatives use it, but think of the way it actually, like, means grooming. You target people's insecurities, separate them from others, 
convince them of a worldview that is convenient to you. In the case of Tate, it makes them a lot of money, you know, in the case of sexual predators and, you know, that stuff. Um, but insecurity is at the heart of it. People who aren't insecure are really difficult to groom. Uh, not impossible, but more so. Big Joel says, Genuine question, why is it, do you think, that young women don't generally grow up believing extremely hostile things about how men should be subjugated? Well, a couple things. First of all, Big Joel, there actually is a pretty big, turfy, hate-all-men femcell crowd growing uh, through TikTok right now. Uh, that is a coming problem. We will reckon with this. Um, they might not be as socially powerful, but it's it's a thing. Um, but, but, but secondly, um, I, I think there are a couple of points. We don't live in a latently matriarchal society so uh you know young girls growing up aren't as likely to encounter uh you know um anti-male answers to insecurities and questions they have also women just don't have the same dating and life experiences in their in their young lives that 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 men do um the concern with women and women's insecurities tends not to be will the guys think i'm creepy not to say that can't happen it's just i don't think it's anywhere near as common as it is with guys um uh, but, but rather, you know, fears of violence or, or, or fears of being a slut or being called a slut, um, stuff like that. You know, it's more specific, it's different. And those are certainly problems, but I don't think they lend themselves to the same kinds of exploitative far right, um, you know, uh, uh, messaging. Um, it is because the far right's politics overlap with possible prescriptions to the insecurities of young men that they are targeting that. Um, Though it is worth pointing out that there are efforts from the religious right to groom young women into conservatism using the kind of opposite tactic, where um, uh, they tell young women that if they're unladylike, no man will ever want them, and if they're not married by 23, then they're barely worth anything anyway, and if they have sex before marriage, they're a slut. And as a product of all of that, they sell them reactionary politics in the framework of you know, this is how you, you know, like, like, this is what you need to do to be a good woman. And in so doing, female insecurity is used as an inroad uh, for conservative uh, 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 political grooming, the trad wife bullshit. I don't think it's as common, though, um, because that one, th those prescriptions are, are usually, they have to be, like, built up more, and usually religion plays a factor, and it just needs more of a setup. But it's possible. It happens. Um... I want to be clear, by the way, like, none of this is me saying that, like, the patriarchy isn't a factor. It's the factor. I mean, the fact that we live in a system where it is so easy to exploit young men's sexual insecurities for the benefit of the far right is patriarchy. That's, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, I, that, that is a function of the system. I'm just talking about the logic by which it operates. Um, you see this all the time with all kinds of bigotries. It's always fear. It's always insecurity. It's always disgust. It's one of the three. It's an intuitive negative feeling that builds up and they're given political prescriptions to legitimize it post hoc. Um, and, 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 and we see that, you know, it, so often. Big Joel says, a saying that I won't be making yet another video about this low, so many thoughts. Oh, you're free to, um, wait, did, wait, hold on. Did, did a fucking mod in YouTube chat? Delete a message from Big Joel. Oh, it was a fake Big Joel. Okay, that's why. That's why I was. It was a fake. Okay, they don't have the channel icon. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Shame won't be making another video about this. So many thoughts. Um, yeah, the the infinite the infinite response. Well, if we you know if we disagree, it's all right. I still appreciate the discussion. Uh, have a good night, uh, Big Joel. Big Joel dipped. Okay, everyone gets what I'm saying, right?
We all we all get what I'm coming at here. Okay. Good. Yeah. I feel like I've talked about this a lot, but um, but it's worth talking about. I I just it's it's um it's just a matter of like the the logic of these systems and the way they operate. Much in the same way that I don't like I've I've used this example before, but just to quickly reiterate, for a lot of people who are um. Uh, 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 a lot of people who are like those, they took our gerbs, like, get them back over the border, you know, this is America, get these Mexicans out or whatever. If you approached their racism, uh, if you were to, like, directly engage with them, and you were like, dude, why do you hate Mexicans? Why are you racist? A lot of them would instantly rebuke what you've said and start talking about how, like, they're a drain on our system or they're taking the jobs, or like it just doesn't work that way, or they need to follow the law. Um, if if they're going to come to this country, they need to follow the system. And what you'll often find is that, well, a lot of these people absolutely do hate Mexicans, and they're all racist for what they're doing and saying. The motivating force for the racism was not just them waking up and going, ah, well, white supremacy benefits me politically, so it would be to my advantage if I am racist. Uh, they get sold on the idea that their tenuous grasp on economic well-being is being threatened by the behavior of others. That there is a system, and that system is uh, a, a zero-sum game. There's only enough in it for so many people, and that is being preyed upon and leached away at. If racism itself was enough, if pure, uh, dilute, um, uh, uh, or sorry, not dilute, undiluted, concentrated racism was sufficient, Racists would not need to give 57 million lies about how people of other races are doing any kind of harm to our country. If sexism enough, or sorry, itself was enough, then sexists would not need to lie repeatedly about uh, society broadly or in the nature of this or that or the other. Um, people just don't tend to do things where they're like, yeah, I want to be anti-equality. I want to hurt other people because it's to my benefit. People don't tend to think that way. Some do, mind you, but oftentimes people are convinced that it's actually the right thing to do, usually because it's a defensive reaction to harm being done to them. In the case of insecure young guys, they think that feminism is destroying the West and also ruining male-female relationships. In the case of a lot of racists, they think that interracial engagement, relationships, proximity is causing a lot of harm for everyone. Um or at least the very least America and the white people in it. Um, you know, it, it's, it's like they, they, they're sold ideas on how the world works. And if the world works that way, thus necessarily, and then you get the prescriptions about racism or sexism or whatever, and you have to work on that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. Talked about it a lot. We did a lot of talking. Uh, I guess you guys can't be too bored of it because there are 7,500 of you here, but you know, uh, it's, um, yeah. Logical pretzels. I think Shark does a good job. So again, I'm not just talking about individual content creators talking about this. I'm talking about the left as a whole being less, um, less like repellent on the subject. That's what I'm hoping for. People who think like that are usually called abusers. I don't know which exact statement you're referring to, but people who are abusive in relationships also usually believe that their bad behavior is a necessary, defensive, or at least justifiable reaction to the conditions they are uh, in, in that relationship. 
That's how everyone does bad things. Very few people do bad things because they think, oh, this is to my benefit, therefore I will do bad thing. They'll like justify it. We're very good at justifying our behavior. We have to because we have strong uh, ideas of what it means to be like a good member of society. Um, nice tequila sunset. Yeah, very few people think they're the bad guy, you know? Even if, um, even if you have somebody like, say, Joseph Stalin, um, Joseph Stalin did a lot of bad things, and he knew he did a lot of bad things, but if you read up on him, he often felt that the bad things that he did were justifiable, or at the very least morally neutral, because he considered himself um, a force of history. He was a very paranoid man, so a lot of the people he killed, he did so out of fits of paranoia. Uh, one might call that a kind of insecurity. Um, but he also thought himself like he was historically powerful enough to be beyond a man. He was a force in history. He began to see himself not as a guy making active conscious decisions, but rather as the, the moving tide, a storm uh, on the horizon, as, a, as an earthquake, as the tremor of a volcano, as something beyond moral assessment. He may have acknowledged uh, that he caused harm or or maybe that he did things that led to others being hurt. And he did acknowledge this, but not as a, as a moral function. You know, Zizek had an entire talk about this, where he talked about this kind of reflexive pseudo-Buddhist cynicism, where people who did horrific war crimes in like a Unit 731 or whatever, in, in, the, in uh, occupied Manchuria or, or whatever else, you know, war crimes abroad, they, they, will, uh, they will think, you know, in this Eastern fashion, um, you know, Am I the one who's like raping and beheading this captured civilian woman? No, the universe is doing it. And I am simply acting as an agent of the universe. I am like a gust of wind or an eddy of water swirling in the ocean. Uh, you know, I, I, am, I am simply the hand of the universe uh, uh, doing the raping and the killing. Um, obviously, this is psychotic. It's essentially a kind of... Uh, religiously tinted uh, strategic disassociation, but it is what some people told themselves as a way of justifying the fact that they committed war crimes. Um, people will go to tremendous lengths to avoid feeling like they are consciously doing a bad thing. We're basically biologically programmed not to do that because sociable behavior is literally written in our DNA. Uh, sociable behavior is tied heavily to the ethics with which we treat others. This is why we consider sociopathy or anti-person anti-social personality disorder to be actual disorders, like flaws in the brain, rather than just uh, personality things. We are designed to uh, behave certain ways. Um, so people will go to great lengths. It's copium. It's copium. People will inhale lots of copium. Uh, if it means uh, a feeling they're not behaving unethically, uh, willfully. Um, you know, we didn't actually finish that video with little Joel, as long as we're still rambling on this. Let me actually finish Wait, it. We so had I'm like, oh no, did it go back? Uh, it, we had like two seconds left. We might as well finish it. not because of some deep important advice as compared to the left's brain dead it stop oh why'd you oh they spammed so it got rid of their message stock 
you have my email. What did I say? Invalid query. Did I do it wrong? Uh, I don't know. Advice. Um, it's because they're attracted to other things about them. Their political project, their attitudes, their reactionary personas. Anyway, this is a very minor point, all things considered, but I just thought it was a kind of a funny thing to put in my video. Anyway, that's all I had to say about this video. Uh, probably this is going to be my last word on the subject. Uh, so I hope that you agree with me and never challenge me again. Bye. Omoi wo mu. Um, I, I, I like the video. I mean, I, I, again, like I, I, I disagree with, with Big Joel quite a lot on this. I think it's very important to approach this problem in this way. But Big Joel is obviously a good person and, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, a disagreement on this does not in any way disposition me negatively uh, towards him. So this person said, stop making drama in the leftist community. You are not that fucking special that it requires you to do this to get the attention you want. Hey, I want it to be known that, like, essentially zero times have I ever deliberately set about um, making drama, okay? I just say stuff that seems reasonable to me and other people get really mad at it, and then I think, okay, well, as long as we're talking about it, and I engage with it. Um, keep in mind the last time I got in deep water with the left, it was in the context of another person uh, leaking messages uh, and then, like, sexually harassing me, and then writing, like, two 100-tweet Twitter threads um, uh, 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 shit talking me and lying about the contents of an earlier conversation we had. So, you know, I, I certainly didn't try to make that happen. Um, yeah, plus that like 10k word blog. Yeah, and then a bunch of lefties defended it. Yeah.